Welcome to the Worship Podcast of Grace Episcopal Church in Newton, Massachusetts for Sunday, January 10th, 2021. I'm Regina Walton, pastor and rector of Grace Church. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome at God's altar at Grace Church. This week is the last week for a while of the Worship Podcast as we've been offering it over the last 10 months. Next Sunday, January 17th, I invite you to log in to Zoom or to click the live streaming option on our website at 11 a.m. for the Liturgy of the Word. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called Till We Have Faces, and we've decided that as the pandemic drags on, we do miss seeing each other's faces as part of worship. To get these links, you can subscribe to our e-newsletter, Grace Today, through our website, gracenewton.org, if you are not already subscribed. Due to the rising case numbers, as well as a lack of information so far on the new variation of the virus, we are also suspending outdoor Eucharist until Ash Wednesday, February 17th. More information on both of these changes is in a recent parish email and in this week's Grace Today. We will continue this podcast in an abbreviated form of gospel, sermon, and closing hymn. I know many friends from outside eastern Massachusetts have been tuning in over these last many months, and I want to thank you for joining us in prayer and praise. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be God's kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. with you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, who at the baptism of Jesus in the river Jordan proclaimed him your beloved Son and anointed him with the Holy Spirit, grant that all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant they have made and boldly confess him as Lord and Savior, 
who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Worship the Lord in his holy temple. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Mount Hermon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord splits the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord all are crying glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. The Lord shall give strength to his people. The Lord shall give his people the blessing of peace. Worship the Lord in his holy temple. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then was you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, 
telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve of them. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. This morning I am turning the virtual pulpit over to the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, the Most Reverend Michael Curry, who released a message to the whole church in light of the events at the Capitol on Wednesday. Bishop Curry, echoing the words of Martin Luther King Jr., 
urges us to choose community over chaos. I want to preface his message by saying that one way we do that as Christians is by fully claiming the power of our baptism. Today, on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, we remember the baptism of our Lord. Although Jesus' baptism is often interpreted by theologians as something he did in order to be an example for us, the fact remains that Jesus' life was totally transformed after his baptism in the Jordan by John. We begin our own baptismal service with an ancient triple renunciation, asking those about to be baptized, or those presenting them, to renounce Satan and the forces of wickedness, evil powers which corrupt and destroy, and sinful desires. Then we ask them three times to turn and, in the ancient word, to adhere to Jesus, to accept him as Savior, to put one's whole trust in his grace and love, and to follow and obey him as Lord. In a way, this beginning of the baptismal service sets out a pattern for our whole lives as Christians. As baptized followers of Jesus, we must constantly turn away from the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy in all the old and new forms in which these powers emerge, and then turn once more towards Jesus. We must constantly renew the baptismal promises we've made and ask for the grace to live out these promises which God has promised us. Our life is one of continual conversion. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in an early sermon at Dexter Hill Baptist Church in 1954, If the Church of Jesus Christ is to regain once more its power, message, and authentic ring, it must conform only to the demands of the gospel. This week in the Capitol, we saw white supremacy and Christian nationalism literally unfurled as flags alongside signs that said, Jesus saves. We must cut these twin sins out of the gospel of Christ like the cancer they are. Everyone, no matter their background, race, ethnicity, gender identity, has a role to play in making this nation a place of true liberty and justice for all. But Christians have a special role to play in taking on Christian nationalism and white supremacy, not just condemning it, but actively working against these corrupt theologies to weaken them and drive them out of American churches. This is difficult and dangerous work, and it will be a long-term commitment. What took several hundred years to embed itself will not be undone quickly. I think the best way we can do this in a majority white church like Grace is to support the work and witness of the black church, black theologians, and ministries that work to empower the black community. We have a lot of learning to do and a lot of following the lead of our black siblings in Christ. But there is an important role for white Christians to play. There is work that no one else can do for us. May we live as the baptized people we are, renouncing evil, turning towards our Lord Jesus, and claiming the grace that is ours to strengthen us for the work ahead. And now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.
in another time of national crisis, another time of danger for our nation. In 1865, on March the 4th, Abraham Lincoln concluded his second inaugural address with these words, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Lincoln knew in that moment, in the moment of a national crisis, a moment of great danger, that such a moment was a moment of decision when a nation, when a people must decide, who shall we be? What kind of nation, what kind of people shall we be? A hundred years later, Martin Luther King faced the same reality. Who shall we be? The civil rights movement was waning. The great victories that had been won had been won, and yet now questions of poverty and economic despair and disparities raised an awesome specter on the nation. We were at war. We were at war in another country, but there was war on our streets. The nation was deeply divided. Cities burned. There were riots, riots at national conventions of political parties. The future of the nation was in question. And it was at that time that Dr. King realized that in moments of danger, a decision must be made. And he titled his last book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos, or community. I believe, as he believed, as Abraham Lincoln believed, as I believe you believe, that we must choose community. Chaos is not an option. Community is our only hope. The truth is, Dr. King spoke often of all that he did and labored for, was for the purpose of realizing as much of the beloved community of God as is possible on this earth. He spoke of beloved community. The Bible, the New Testament, Jesus spoke of the kingdom or the reign of God. Jesus taught us to pray and to work and to labor for that beloved community, that reign of God's love in our time and in our world, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
just as it is in heaven. Those are our marching orders from Jesus himself. I'm a follower of Jesus of Nazareth because I believe that his way of love, his way of life is the way of life for us all. I believe that unselfish, sacrificial love, love that seeks the good and the welfare and the well-being of others as well as the self, that this is the way that can lead us and guide us to do what is just, to do what is right, to do what is merciful. It is the way that can lead us beyond the chaos to community. Now I know, I, I know full well that this may to some sound naive, to others idealistic. And I understand that. And yet, I want to submit that the way of love that leads to beloved community is the only way of hope for humanity. Consider the alternative. The alternative is chaos, not community. The alternative is the abyss of anarchy, of chaos, of hatred, of bigotry, of violence. And that alternative is unthinkable. We have seen nightmarish visions of that alternative. We saw it in Charlottesville just a few years ago when neo-Nazis marched through the streets of an American city chanting, Jews will not replace us. That alternative is unthinkable. We saw it in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where a public safety officer knelt with his knee on the neck of another human being, a child of God, just like he was, and snuffed out the breath of life that God gave him. The alternative is unthinkable. And we have seen it this past Wednesday when a monument to democracy, the capital of the United States of America was desecrated and violated with violence by vandals. Lives were lost. A nation was wounded. Democracy itself was threatened. My brothers and sisters, this way of love that Jesus taught us when he said, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. This way of love that Moses taught even before Jesus, this way of unselfish, sacrificial love, it is the way to redeem a nation, to save a world. It is the way of hope for us all. But, but do not make the mistake of thinking that I speak of a sentimental and emotional love. Jesus spoke of love most consistently 
the closer he got to the cross. This way of love is the way of sacrifice, the way of unselfishness, the way of selflessness that seeks the good of the other as well as the self. And that is the way of the cross, which is the way of life. And if you don't believe me, ask another apostle of love. Not Dr. King, not Abraham Lincoln. Ask Archbishop Tutu. Ask one who gave his, has given his life for the cause of God's love in the way of Jesus. Ask him, ask Nelson Mandela in your mind. Ask them what love looks like. They knew that the way of love could, was the only way that could guide South Africa from what could have become a bloody nightmare in civil war to the way that could build a nation. And it was not sentimental. Remember truth and reconciliation. They had to face painful truths. They had to do what was just and what was merciful. They had to do what the prophet Micah said. But the motivation and the guide was love. Archbishop Tutu said this, love, forgiving, and being reconciled to our enemies or our loved ones is not about pretending that things are other than they are. It is not about patting one another on the back or turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness of the abuse, the hurt, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse for a while. It is a risky undertaking, but in the end, it is worthwhile because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring forth real healing. Superficial reconciliation only brings superficial healing. This is the way of love that can heal our hurts, that can heal our land, that can help us to become one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So I would ask you to do two things. I'm asking you to make a commitment, a renewed commitment to live the way of love as Jesus has taught us and to do it by making a commitment to go out and bless somebody. Bless somebody you disagree with. Bless somebody you agree with. But to go out and, and bless somebody by helping somebody along the way. Go out and bless somebody 
by listening to their story and their life. To go out and be an instrument of God's peace, an agent of God's love. And then I would ask you to pray. Pray for this nation, but pray with some specificity. Pray that we may have the wisdom and the courage to love. God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. Crown thine ancient church's story. Bring her bud to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom. Grant us courage for the facing of this hour. With malice toward none. With charity toward all. With firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive to finish the work, the work that we are in. To bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to, all, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. God love you. God bless you, and may God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Let us affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray together, saying, Father, by your Spirit, and responding, bring in your kingdom. Holy God, we pray for the coming of your kingdom. You sent your Son to bring good news to the poor, sight to the blind, freedom to the captives, and salvation to your people. Anoint us with your Spirit. Rouse us to work in his name. Father, by your Spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us to bring help to the poor and freedom to the oppressed. Father, by your Spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us to tell the world the good news of your healing love. We pray for peace with justice in our nation and a peaceful transfer of power to President-elect Biden's administration this month. We especially remember all those on our prayerish prayer list 
who have asked for our prayers, and those in any need or trouble whom we name now. We give thanks for those celebrating birthdays this week. Carol, Jonathan, John, Claudia, Will, Silas, and Charles. In our parish cycle of thanksgiving, we pray for our postulants and candidates for holy orders. For postulants, Lauren Kilalea, sponsored by Grace and studying at Virginia Theological Seminary, and Dory Gehring, our ministry intern, who both took the general ordination exams this past week, and for Rowan Larson, a candidate in the Diocese of Massachusetts. We pray that God will continue to raise up thoughtful, caring, and faithful people to serve as priests and deacons in the Episcopal Church. Father, by your Spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us to those who mourn to bring joy and gladness instead of grief. We grieve those who have died by an act of violence, those who have died of COVID-19, and those who have died alone. We remember all those who have died, especially any we name now. Father, by your Spirit, bring in your kingdom. Send us to proclaim that the time is here for you to save your people. Father, by your Spirit, bring in your kingdom. Father, use us, flawed but forgiven, to bring in your kingdom of mercy, justice, love, and peace. Empower us by your Spirit and unite us in your Son that all our joy and delight may be to serve you, now and forever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Thank you to everyone who contributed to our worship podcast for today. We thank the Grace Church Choir, featuring section leaders Kristen Buabin, Diane Drost, Stephen Im, and John Yanis, joined today by Linda Hosfeld. We also thank our music director and organist, Chris Hosfeld. Thank you to our lectors, Chris Walton and Chris Hosfeld, and our lay reader, Rowan Larson. You can find out more about Grace Church on our website, gracenewton.org. Thank you so much for listening.